You're listening to Ready to Real Estate, a TREB podcast. Hear stories, uncover insights, and tune into interviews on key issues that impact realtors and all of us. Join us as we discover how people, properties, and communities all come together to build the future of real estate. Now here's our host, Jason Mercer. Hi, everyone. It's Jason Mercer, TREB's Chief Market Analyst. In this episode, we're diving deeper and uncovering the latest consumer home buying and selling intentions. Uh, we've recently released our highly anticipated Market Year Review and Outlook 2021 report, which features new insights on the real estate market and an outlook on what's ahead and a wealth of key takeaways. Alongside that, we also bring you consumer home buying and selling intentions to provide an on-the-ground perspective that speaks to how people are feeling about the real estate marketplace. And joining to help me with that today is Sean Simpson, who's the Vice President of Ipsos Public Affairs, and he was responsible for the research that Ipsos conducted for us. And they've been doing this research for us, you know, for the better part of the last half decade. So we have a good sort of time series uh, to discuss as well. So Sean, thanks very much and, and welcome to Ready to Real Estate. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me. Now let's talk about how COVID-19 has, has changed consumer buying and selling uh, intentions. Yeah, well, it's, uh, the pandemic has been, been obviously impactful on, on people's financial situations, but maybe not in the way that the aggregate economic figures might suggest. We know that for you know, roughly two in 10 Canadians, the pandemic has, has had a, a, an adverse uh, impact, not just on you know, their, their health, but their financial health, uh, job losses, wage cuts, et cetera. And so um, that's why we're seeing slowdown in the, in the economy. Um, but the other side of the coin is that for the majority of Canadians, not only has it not necessarily been a bad thing, but maybe even a good thing for their finances. Uh, fewer people are going out and, and vacationing, going out for dinner, uh, doing other uh, things that they, they might spend their money on over the course of a regular year. And what that's meant is that people have more money in their pockets at the end of the day. And of course, this was maybe even exacerbated by, by some of the, the government uh, policies that came in, the CERB and, and other, other supports. And I've, I've read that you know, maybe the government overcompensated and, and people have had more money than they otherwise, otherwise, otherwise might have uh, during a, a course of a, a time of normalcy. So what that has meant is that um, it's acted as a, an accelerant uh, in, in the real estate market. And our research for TREB shows that among those who have bought a home in the last year, 64% uh, of them say that they bought that home sooner than they otherwise would have directly as a result of the pandemic. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think the, the point you raise around, you know, savings, given that people aren't, aren't spending on a lot of the day-to-day the -day things that, that, you know, they're accustomed to before, say, you know, the middle of March last year. Um, and that goes a long way, too, because, you know, when we're thinking about the third best year on record, that's what we reported for home sales in, in, in 2020 through TREB's MLS system. Um, but, you know, it's important to remember that as we move through this, even though, for example, mortgage rates were, were, uh, were, were lower, uh, people are still having to qualify under the, the OSPI stress test. And so in order to mitigate, um, you know, the, that the, uh, you know, the added qualification, um, you know, certainly, you know, added savings, added equity to put down on a home, you know, was a mitigating factor there as well. So on the one hand, we saw, you know, lower borrowing costs, but on the other hand, we also saw people with potentially um, a greater ability to put down, you know, uh, a larger down payment. 
Yeah, and and we have to remember his third best year on on record, uh, in spite of the fact that March and April and and early May were. Yeah. were quiet right so the latter half of the year was uh, was exceptional and and i know at the event the other day we were asked you know whether or not a potential third wave caused by different sure. variations of the of the of the virus may take the bite out of the real estate market and and my answer might actually be the opposite of what you might expect in that if it continues that Canadians seem to have more money than they otherwise would because they're not spending it elsewhere, then that may just put more fuel on the, on the fire, so to speak, in terms of uh, activity in the market. Yeah, and if you think about you know, where we're going moving forward, um, you know, the, the January results were very, very strong, uh, and not just for the low-rise segments of the market. It also looks like we're starting to see uh, the condominium apartment market turn around as well with, with sales growth well outstripping um, listings growth. And, and you know, I, I think most people probably listening to this podcast have a, have a pretty good idea of how things unfolded in 2020, but you know, are, are, are even more interested in, in, in where we think things are going for, for 2021. I think, again, that speaks to the strength of, of the information we gather through the Ipsos polling is that we've been asking now for a number of years um, what people's buying and, and, and selling intentions are. Um, and, and so we can start to get a gauge as to how these different, you know, events impact people's, uh, people's uh, opinion on the marketplace. So maybe um, can you speak a little bit about what we found for buying intentions looking forward for the next 12 months? Sure, absolutely. Um, we found that uh, purchase intentions are actually holding very, very steady. Uh, and in fact, maybe are ticking up slightly um, as a result of, of, of COVID-19. And as I said, people maybe moving up the, their, their purchases as, as a result. Um, we've got 30% who say they're at least considering the purchase of a home that that's uh, pretty comparable with the 29% who, who said so last year. And if we look at the, the other side of the coin, uh, potentially people listing their, their primary homes for sale, uh, we see that 15% are very likely, maybe 36% at least uh, somewhat likely. Uh, but that um, is, is down a, a little bit from, from last year. So um, demand is remaining strong. Uh, supply uh, may tighten uh, even, even further as a result of uh, you know, this, this kind of uh, unequal uh, balance in the market. It looks like it's still going to be a seller's market primarily. Yeah, I tend to agree. And, and, and certainly, you know, it, it, the, the, the consumer sentiment out there seems to support, you know, the, the numbers that we're seeing. I mean, you know, all through 2020, and certainly if you look through January of this year, um, you know, the supply of, of, of listings for low-rise home types, so detached, semis, and townhomes, uh, I mean, that's remained quite constrained and certainly is not keeping up um, with the demand for those home types. Now, one segment of the market, as I kind of alluded to earlier, that, that saw a little bit of relief on the supply front was, was the condominium apartment segment, but even that's starting to turn around. And I think, you know, a lot of it had to do with some uncertainty in the market, marketplace, especially on the part uh, of investors. Uh, where they're saying, well, look at like where we have this sort of double whammy where number one, we're not seeing as much rental demand because a lot of people who are pointed at the rental market have been hit the hardest uh, by, by COVID-19 in terms of the sectors of the economy they're working in. Uh, and number two, tourism's basically dried right up. So, you know, uh, uh, no one's going to be taking advantage of, of Airbnb opportunities that, that, that might have been there. Um, so, so what are your thoughts, I guess, uh, uh, twofold? I mean, what are your thoughts on, you know, uh, um, owners of investment properties uh, looking forward, but also thinking about, you know, people coming back into that condo market, particularly first-time buyers? 
Yeah, the condo market is going to be uh, interesting. I, I, I would call it the wild card in, in, in all of this because investors, uh, you know, their purchase intentions seem to be, you know, fairly flat compared with, um, with, with last year. But what we're seeing um, in, in buying intentions for, for, for primary um, home dwellers is that there's a, a move not just away from the, the 416 to the, to the 905 and maybe elsewhere within the province, but um, along with that comes a change in the type of dwelling that people most desire. Um, 32% say that COVID influenced where they're going to buy a home. In fact, it was the primary factor. So we know that it's, it's having an impact on where people are going to buy. And so they're moving from their potential mid-rise, high-rise um, uh, residences in, in Toronto, moving out to the suburbs. We're seeing um, that 35% uh, of buyers say they're going to purchase in Toronto. That's down seven points. Uh, when we look at places like uh, York Region, Peel, Halton, Durham, those are all up. Um, so the data certainly are showing um, uh, sort of a flock to the, to the suburbs. And uh, with that comes a change in the dwelling. We uh, see that interest in single detached homes is um, nearly half of the market now, which is up seven uh, points from, uh, rather four points from, from last year. Inversely, the interest in condos is down seven points to just 19%. So we're saying that the, the, the supply of, of um, low rise is, is tight. Well, the demand is going to be even stronger uh, than, it, than it has been, particularly in, in more outlying areas. Um, now, markets always have a chance, have a, um, uh, they even themselves out, right? So right. we've seen some, a little bit of softness in the condominium market recently. You know, if, if uh, prices remain flat there while single attached homes are skyrocketing like we've seen, well, the market will balance itself out and more people will be interested in, in condos and other, other high-rise uh, developments, um, particularly first-time home buyers, if that is where the sort of most affordable entry point is. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting point. And, and I'm going to be, I mean, I, I think of, of, of all sort of the market segments, the biggest wild card as we move through uh, 2021 is that condo segment. Like I, I, I fully understand why uh, when you were polling consumers uh, at the end of this year, um, you know, that intention, that outlook of perhaps looking for, I guess, a home type that's more conducive to working from home and not necessarily need to, needing to be, you know, near the, the downtown core or other sort of employment centers um, in the GTA. You know, I, I understand that mindset given, you know, uh, the, the situation we're in right now currently. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see, and, and, and maybe the answer to this doesn't necessarily play itself out just in 2021, but even as we move into 2022, it'll be interesting to see as we see a, a broader sort of global rollout of a of, of vaccine, do we, do we start to see, you know, a renewed interest in, in, uh, in looking back downtown? I, I think that that's going to be a, you know, an interesting storyline as we move forward. And also, um, you know, I, I know you track, you know, broader issues outside of the housing market, but also thinking about, well, the federal government's policy to, to see a real marked increase in immigration um, as we get to the other side of COVID-19 as part of, you know, our broader, uh, um, uh, you know, regrowth strategy when you're thinking about the, uh, the economy. And I think that only leads to, to demand for, uh, for, for both rental and ownership uh, properties and particularly in that condo market. Well, and at the end of the day, people can only buy homes that exist. And right. 
most of the supply that's coming online in the GTA is more in the in the mid or high rise. It's it's you know they, they can't keep up with the pace of, of low low rise growth. So you know people are going to buy what's available, condos are available, and um, we we're seeing still uh, a fairly consistent strength. Um, among first-time home buyers. One of the things that we always look at is what proportion of those who say they intend to buy are first-time home buyers. And um, it's holding steady at about 41%. Now, before prices got you know, crazy in, in, in 2017, for example, it was about 50%. But we've seen it lower than where it is now. And that's, that's a good sign, right? It means that, that the market is, has, has not yet achieved um, uh, status where it's completely unaffordable for, for first-time home buyers. Where are they going to look? They're going to look towards condos in, in, in the GTA because they like to live in, in cores instead of suburbs. Uh, and that's the price point that, that's going to work with, with their budget. So, um, you know, it, we've had, I think, a, a blip in the condo uh, market, but, uh, you know, demand is still strong. People need to, to, to buy homes that exist and, and condos exist. There's, there's more supply there for the taking. Sure. And I think that's a, that's an interesting segue because if, if you're not purchasing a home, you know, and, and you're not living, say at home with your parents, um, then you're, then you're renting a home or you're, you're renting a place to live. And so, um, you know, thinking about the availability of rental units, because, you know, if you think about the rental transactions that we report through uh, Treb's MLS system, and, and certainly you and I talked about uh, last week at our event, and, and you read about it in, in the report as well, is that, you know, a lot of the rental supply that's come online for people to take advantage of the GTA really over the past decade um, has been on the back of condominium apartment investors. So that, that supply is always in flux, right? Because you're talking about an investor that owns one or two units and, and they purchase that a lot of times at a pre-construction sales center and then choose to rent it out to cover some or all of their, their costs and, and hopefully make a return uh, on, on top of that. But I think over the last few years, uh, we've been talking more and more about, you know, different policies from different levels of government that are pointed at that rental market, whether you're talking about vacancy tax, whether you're talking about uh, uh, restrictions on, on, on short-term rental products. And so, you know, uh, I guess the question I have for you is, is, is based on your polling and, and talking specifically to investors, you know, how does the, the, the sort of government policy direction we've seen over the last few years, how could that impact the supply of rentals available for people, including, you know, newcomers? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. You know, I said earlier, the market usually kind of takes care of itself, of course, except in cases where you've got policy that's, that's acting as a, um, a, as a kind of external force that, that, um, that throws some things out of, out of alignment. Um, sure. We're seeing that, that interest in, in terms of buying um, investment properties is, is fairly steady. But what we also see in our research is that um, those who are investing in, in, in real estate, they're much more fickle. Uh, in terms of the kind of conditions being presented to them than people who are, are buying for them for themselves, really, um, because ultimately everybody needs a place to live, but not everybody needs needs a you know a second uh, home as as as, a, as an investment property. And so what we see is that some of these these things that you mentioned, like like um, vacant home taxes, for for example, um, seem to uh, bring some doubt into the minds of, of investors and, and maybe cause them to, uh, to reconsider whether or not they, they still want to be in that, in that game of, 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 of investing in, in real estate. So, um, you know, for example, 
uh, when we ask people about the impact of a vacant home tax on their decision to buy an investment property, these among people who are at least considering it, you know, 21%, this is up six points from last year, 21% say, well, no, I, I, I'm not going to buy uh, as a result. Um, and, and we see a similar uh, um, impact here with 20% of, of people considering a purchase saying, uh, I'm not going to buy as a result of increased regulations on, on short-term uh, rentals, for example. It's tough enough that you know, tourism is non-existent right now. It's even tougher when you, you start to put rules on me in terms of, um, you know, who I can and cannot uh, rent it out to and, and increasing the kind of regulatory and, and tax burden on, uh, on, on that front. In terms of, of people who already own um, investment properties, uh, the impact of, the, of a vacant home tax is, is, is pronounced. Uh, as many as four in 10 say that, you know what, they think they might sell their, uh, their investment property as a result. I think particularly if the, if the current situation continues and there's, there's no tourism and, and other options uh, for them, or if, if the sort of softness that we've seen in the rental market over the last year or so um, uh, continues. And again, uh, more regulations on short-term rentals, four in 10 say, you know what, I'm going to think about selling my, my property as a result. So there may be a little bit of relief on the supply side if investors are feeling increasingly squeezed by government regulation but you know that's going to take time that doesn't happen overnight yeah exactly and i guess you know it all depends on you know what the take-up is you know both on the ownership side um in terms of people absorbing some of those units that come online if december and january are any guide then then perhaps we'll, we'll absorb this excess supply um you know fairly quickly but i think i think you know the the jury's still out in terms of you know what's going to happen with uh, you know, first-time buyers. What's going to happen with uh, you know overall population growth that could that could fuel the demand uh, for those segments? I think the tourism sector is always important as well. I mean, if you talk to any sort of you know economic development officer in the GTA, uh, whether it's the city of Toronto or or you know the the, the surrounding suburban municipalities, you know, tourism is always sort of one of those factors that. Uh, um, that, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're pointing at in terms of getting, you know, foreign dollars to, to come in and, and, and people spending money in the various municipalities. And that includes, obviously, you know, hotels and, and, and investor-owned um, Airbnb. And, and so, you know, on the short-term side of things, it looks like you have investors selling units. And, uh, uh, um, but, you know, medium to longer term, as we start to see that tourism sector pick up again, you know, it makes me wonder, you know, are we going to be talking about, you know, sort of a, uh, a shortage of, uh, of uh, you know, units that, that can sort of attract tourists in that tour to our city and that moving forward. So I think there's still, you know, quite a bit of, you know, unknown out there in terms of what the, you know, medium or longer term impacts of COVID-19 will be versus, you know, the short term that we're talking about right now. Yeah, and we know that there are already going to be other barriers uh, to tourism rebounding, um, safety, uh, federal government regulations on who can come in, who needs to quarantine, et cetera. I think the last thing that we want to do is, is further increase those barriers by not having that capacity to absorb um, tourists and, 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 and other investors who, who may be uh, coming into our communities. Yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, and, 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 and one of the other things that I want to you know, touch on before the end of our time here today is sort of thinking maybe in a little bit more detail about the mortgage market, because the other sort of series of questions that you've been, you know, polling both existing homeowners and, and, and people who are looking to purchase a home over the next year is sort of where they stand vis-a-vis, -vis, uh, um, you know, both the, 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 the type of lending product they're taking on, 
the, the size of down payment um, and, and also where they are in, in terms of uh, in terms of interest rates or, or borrowing costs, because that's obviously been a big topic of discussion, right? I mean, sort of, you know, within a couple of weeks of, uh, of, of, the, of COVID-19 hitting and we're talking about mortgage deferrals and that type of stuff, it only took a couple of weeks before, you know, we had a new sort of term that was being uh, um, thrown around the, the, the deferral cliff and, and mm. the, the real concern around, you know, a whole bunch of people, you know, taking on uh, more or taking advantage of mortgage deferrals uh, early on and what's going to happen when those run out. Um, yeah. You know, from my standpoint, you know, not much has happened at all because people took advantage of it out of convenience and out of flexibility versus necessarily needing to take it on because they couldn't afford to make those, uh, make those payments. But I think some of your polling bears that out as well. Yeah, absolutely. So these are, these are excellent points. I mean, I was probably among those people who back in the spring and summer said, well, let's just wait till those deferrals come due and, and see what happens in the, in the winter. And as you said, nothing happened. Um, you know, it was, it was, we were all saying that the sky was going to fall and it, and it, and it didn't happen. And the, 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 you know, a lot of the polling, a lot of the research showed that, you know, big chunks of Canadians, 10 to 20% were, were deferring their mortgage, but nobody's asking why. And so our recent polling did that. We said, why did you defer your mortgage? And for the vast majority of those people, it was like an insurance policy just in case things go wrong, in case I get laid off, in case you know, we, we, we get sick, in case we lose, lose income, I wanna have that flexibility. And the vast majority of people you know, come the fall when we said, well, what happened when, when those deferrals came, came due? They said, well, nothing, I just you know, started on my normal payments again. And, and so um, you know, we'll, we'll be smarter about measuring that in the, in the future so that we're not you know, crying wolf uh, when, when in fact there is, there's no reason to do, do so. The other you know, concern with the mortgage market is, is as prices keep rising, who can continue to afford homes? And our data shows that plenty of people are continuing to uh, be able to afford homes. It's showing in your data, your transaction data. But what we're also seeing is that you know, the average down payment uh, that people are, are, are putting down as a proportion of the, of the sale price is about 30%. And over the last number, couple, of, couple of years, it's been roughly around 30%. And even among first-time home buyers, the average is in the upper 20. So really, you know, strong down payments here. And, and you know, the government likes to spend a lot of um, time and resources uh, bringing in policies to ensure that, you know, people are, are putting down enough down payment, they're not overly leveraged. And, you know, we could debate that later. But what we're seeing is that very few, less than 10% are putting down less than 10% and less than 20% are putting down less than 20%. Um, most people are, are avoiding, um, uh, you know, a default insurance. Uh, and, and most people are putting enough equity in their homes such that if for some reason we have a softening in, in prices, they're not going to be in a negative equity situation. Yeah, and don't forget, I mean, when you're thinking about, you know, the, the greater Toronto area with an average home price that, you know, we're forecasting to be above a million dollars for 2021, I mean, that precludes you uh, from taking on mortgage insurance. And so obviously, then you're going to have to have that down payment of, 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 of 20% plus. And, you know, it, it's an important point, because if you think about, you know, the data that's put out by the, the Canadian Bankers Association, for example, that looks at mortgages in arrears or, or you know, the default rate, I mean, that's always, you know, well below, you know, the 1% mark, right? And, uh, and, and one of the key reasons for that is if people are loath the default on their, on their mortgage in Canada, because by and large, they have a lot of equity at stake in that, uh, in that home. And, and, you know, when you're looking at people saying that they're going to be putting, you know, 
in the neighborhood of 30% down on average when they're purchasing a home over the next year, like that's a lot of skin in the game and, and, and something really bad is going to have to happen before, you know, uh, your last resort is to, is to default on that home. And we've seen that even back during, you know, the recession 2008, 2009, which was a housing market induced recession, at least in the United States, when you looked at Canada, as sort of a counterpoint to that, we just didn't see that uptick in, in, in defaults, even though, you know, from a jobs perspective, you know, it, it was, it was, a, it was a, a more prolonged sort of period of job loss than even what we experienced during COVID-19. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And, you know, people are obviously taking the, the opportunity right now uh, to lock in historic lows. We know that fixed rate mortgages are very popular. And what we've seen over the last two years is, you know, two years ago, a lot of people were in the three to four percent range. Last year, they moved in the two to three percent range. And now we're seeing a significant proportion of people who have been pre-approved in our surveys below two percent and, and some, in some cases, even closer to to one percent. So they're taking that opportunity to lock in for five years. Um, uh, uh, it's it's uh, maybe fixed has been even more popular than it has been historically in the past because, um, you know, I think people are saying, well, there's not a lot of chance that things can go down even more. So, you know, what can be gained from a, from a variable rate, uh, rate mortgage? Although we did hear HSBC, I think, was the bank that had sub 1%, uh, but it, it was variable. And I think people like to have that, um, that consistency, that predictability for the next uh, five years. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this is all very interesting. I mean, you know, thinking about what Trev expects to see over the, the next year, we'll have over 100,000 sales uh, in the greater Toronto area. And we're expecting, as I said, to see an average selling price of above $1 million, certainly in some market segments, well above $1 million, thinking of, say, detached and semi-detached segments um, in, in particular. And I think, you know, all of the, the data, you know, on the whole, or in the aggregate that, that, that came from, from your most recent consumer polling supports the fact that, you know, we're going to continue to see, you know, strong demand, but at the same time, you know, we're, 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 we're still going to be constrained a little bit um, on the, on the supply front. And, and, you know, one of the um, issues that, that our report also covered off with some work that was undertaken by urban strategies is that there's still that real need uh, to, to, to bridge that gap between, um, you know, condominium apartments and, and, and detached homes. And so I think until that, you know, happens, um, you know, we're going to continue to see through your polling and certainly through our, our, our statistics that uh, the listings are going to be um, in, in short supply. But, you know, I think those are the themes that we're still going to be wrestling with over the next, uh, over the next year. And certainly, you know, Sean, we appreciate you and, and, and your firm. You've been great partners and, and we're looking forward to, to you know, continuing the, the, the great research as we move uh, forward. So thank you very much for taking part in the podcast today. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thank you, everyone, who tuned in today's episode. I'd like to thank our team at Trev, Josh for researching, Maria for writing, Jen for producing, and, and David for technical support. In our next episode, Joe Barrage and Michelle Trokme from Urban Strategies Partners will join us to talk about what the missing middle is and how it can increase supply in the GTA's urban areas. And don't forget to visit trev.ca to discover the market year review and outlook report for even more insights. Thanks, and we'll talk again soon. That's it for us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and visit our website, treb.ca. That's T-R-R-E-B dot C-A to find market insights and more. This has been another episode of Ready to Real Estate, and thank you for tuning in.